Welcome to Iron Rhetoric with your intrepid host, Pastor Brett McAtee. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. And so we would say, bah humbug to the social contract theory, and would choose instead to say the basic unit of any social order, including in the church, is the family. Now, I'm now off my notes here, but if that's true, then you can understand, you can understand why the family is so assiduously attacked, Right? Because if it's true that the family is the Christian primary social unit that God uses to build out from there, then it stands to reason if you want to destroy everything, the thing you need to go after the most is the family. And boy, howdy, hasn't that happened? Continues to happen. And we're contending here is that infant baptism is a means by which we affirm not only all the truths connected with baptism, but we affirm the fact that we are not isolated integers, we're not atomized individuals as sovereign over everything. God has placed us in families, and that family is to be somewhat determinative of who we are. Well, I've talked firstly about what has led us or pushed us to get rid of infant baptism. And, I, and I've mentioned the social contract theory. And again, I understand I'm painting with a brush here. This, there are books and books and books have been written on, on social contract theory. I'm just giving the highlights. But if we were to ask what else is going on here, what else is in the water that's pushing us away from, this, from, from baptizing our children, we would say also the second thing is that the assumptions that are found in revivalism versus the assumptions or presuppositions that are found in Scripture. With the first great awakening, as followed by the second great awakening, the emphasis as it relates to speaking about conversion moved away from covenantal nurture of children in the covenant, and instead of that being the idea of where a person was formed, of their Christianity, with, with revivalism, what now takes the center stage is, the, again, the sovereign individual making a decision for Jesus. There was a time, and again, relatively recent, if you look at the whole scope of time, three or so hundred years ago, when the whole idea of dateable conversion was an oddity. In other words, when, if you would have asked somebody in the, in the 1500s, when were you saved, I don't know, I'm not even sure the question would have registered with them. Why? If they would have answered anything, they would have said, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. That's how they would have answered that question. But because of the push in the, of revivalism, what we find here again is the, is the centerpiece of the individual. What we find here instead of the importance of the covenant being emphasized is the importance of a dramatic, personal, emotional, experiential encounter with Jesus. Schenck, in his book, 
the Presbyterian doctrine of covenant succession, he writes, quote, the presumption of regeneration in the case of children of the covenant based upon the covenant promises was largely displaced by the church's practice of recognizing as Christians only those who gave credible evidence satisfactory to themselves of regeneration. So there were certain signs had to be present. Whereas upon once upon a time, a credible profession of faith could be based on the fact that you, you were born into the covenant, that you had Christian parents, that you were baptized. Now the push is, is towards some kind of an experiential nature before you can be considered a Christian. And in doing that, what again then is emphasized is what? Or is who? The individual. As opposed to the collective community. Now again, I want to be careful to articulate the idea that I'm not saying there's something wrong with somebody having an experience. There's nothing wrong with somebody having a walk the aisle. John Bunyan wasn't in error in his conversion. Wesley accounts his conversion experience like this. I'm not saying that those are wrong or evil. I'm just saying they weren't the norm. And we don't need to consider them the norm today. What we need to be considering as the norm is that God gives Christian parents, Christian children to continue to build up his covenant community. But also, also he's gracious to those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God may call. In Scripture, the scriptural assumptions are the parents are to lay hold of God's promises, that God will be God to us and to our children for a thousand generations, and that they are to train their children up in the faith and light of God's promises. And in this model, the whole idea of dramatic conversion experience slips away in favor of covenantal nurture. I have met people, and this was back in seminary days, and I, and I was the one that was thought it was odd then, but I've met people who said, I never remember a time not being what? A Christian. And so they can't give you that, that dateable conversion. They can't give you that experience. Why? Because God was so good to them that he gave them a Christian home with Christian parents who nurtured them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. As is taught in this passage in Ephesians, where parents are to nurture their children. The third one was dateable conversion. I've already butted up against that, so I won't take the time to stretch that out, to work it. I already have somewhat. A fourth reason for why we've, we think it's so odd to baptize our children today is the failure of covenantal nurture. We find in Deuteronomy these words, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt do what? Teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and, thou, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So the reason that covenantal succession has been given up and is now seen as so odd, one reason is, is that so many of our children, when they graduate high school, they also graduate from the church. The reason that covenantal succession is not, is not embraced or is seen as odd is because Frankly, we're not doing a very good job of raising our children. 
Now, when children go errant, it's not always the case that somehow the parents should feel like that they are to blame. God's providence is mysterious. But at the same time, we should be doing all that we can to make sure that our children don't go errant. And this includes this passage of De- De- from Deuteronomy, where it said to them, You shall diligently teach thy children, shall talk of them, um, that is these words, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. In other words, everywhere, all the time, incessantly. You teach them not only what they believe and why they believe it, but you teach them what they don't believe and why they don't believe it. And in doing so, you are nourishing and nurturing up them up in their undoubted Catholic Christian faith. You're not giving the opportunity for old Slewfoot to enter in somehow. Because when you rise and when you go to sleep and when you're in your daily living, you're teaching them the faith. And frankly, we don't take the faith that seriously anymore. And the consequence is what? We lose our children. Too often the cash value of baptism to many who are part of the contemporary church is that they have kept their religious responsibility to their children. See, now I've done what I'm supposed to do. They've had them baptized. This is why the form that we just read distinctly says in the charge we just read, to Patrick and Joanna. It says that this baptism must therefore, the use of the sacrament must therefore be for the purpose of God that God intended and not out of custom or superstition. It's not magic. While we are of the persuasion that in baptism God has placed his claim upon us, we are not of the persuasion that baptism entered into apart from covenantal nurturing laid upon us that is the responsibility as parents guaranteed that our child is right with God. When children are baptized, when Fiona has been baptized, we now give her the judgment of charity. We give her the judgment of charity that she is a Christian. She is a child of God. That's what we believe. Until when? Until, God forbid, she ever shows otherwise. But all of that comes within the context of Patrick and Joanna and the pastor and the elders and the whole church being faithful in training Fiona, her confessions, her catechisms, and frankly, how to think. Yeah, parents, there's nothing wrong with you teaching your children how to think. There's nothing wrong with teaching your children what to think. Listen to the 19th century Southern theologian, perhaps one of the greatest minds, not the greatest, maybe that goes to Edwards, but perhaps one of the greatest theologians in church in American history, R.L. Dabney. He writes, this is incredible if you listen to this. It's incredible. He says, the instrumentalities of the family are chosen and ordained of God as the most efficient of all means of grace. He's just said the family is a means of grace. I guarantee you, you don't find Reformed theologians saying that. But that's what he says here. He says, The instrumentalities of the family are chosen and ordained of God as the most efficient of all means of grace, more truly and efficaciously means of saving grace and all the other ordinances of the church. To family piety are given the best promises of the gospel. How then should a wise God do otherwise than to consecrate the Christian family 
and ordain that the believing parents shall sanctify the children. Hence the very foundation of all parental fidelity to children's souls is to be laid in the conscientious, solemn, and hearty adoption of the very duties and promises which God seals in the covenant of infant baptism. It is pleasing to think that many Christians who refuse the sacraments do, with a happy inconsistency, embrace the duties and seek the blessings. But God gives all his people the truths and promises along with the edifying seal. Let us hold fast to both. So if we're to return to a time in the Reformed Church when covenantal succession, the passing on of the faith, is again the norm in our families, in our churches, and among our people, we must once again practice this idea of covenantal nurture. We must teach our children the scriptures. We must catechize our children. We must anticipate answer their objections before they even have those objections. And as we are teaching our children God's judgments and his statutes and laws, we must point out to them how the culture and too often the visible church wars against those judgments, statutes, and laws. We must introduce our children to systematic thinking because there is nothing non-systemic and non-systematic in the thinking of God. God is a systematic thinker. And so we should teach our children to be systematic thinking thinkers as well and by use of the scriptures to show the non-contradictory nature of God's thinking. It is an awesome responsibility, Patrick and Joanna, and everyone here, to be parents. Thank God, he, thank God he's gracious, because we make mistakes all the time, don't we? But God is gracious. We must introduce our children, as I said, to systematic thinking. We must dip and saturate our children in a Christian worldview that they will see non-Christian worldviews as strange, exotic, and, ooh, that's gross. As parents, we must love them and not provoke them. We must live out before them the majesty of God's grace that has redeemed us for the sake of the finished work of Christ alone. And if in hearing me this morning somehow you, you find in, some, in yourself some kind of sense of failure, you know what? God receives sinners. And, and, and he receives us in our brokenness and our penitential prayers. God, forgive me for not being the parent I should have been. And remember, God's bigger than you. And if your child is out in the far country, guess what? God can still call him back. Well, here are some areas, and we're not going to be able to get into all these. I'll have to bring these up tonight because the hour wanes. But some areas that we need to keep an eye on in terms of covenantal, the practice of covenantal nurture. And I'm going to mention just one, and I'll leave the others for this evening if you're interested. If we're going to keep an eye on in order to practice covenantal nurture, we have to protect our children from the culture. Arnold has a good principle. I've heard him state more than once. No screen time until when, Arnold? Until they leave home, okay? No screen time, no social media, no television, no movies. Those things play with the ability to do what? Think, all right? 
And so, if we love our children, we're going to protect them from the culture. And of course, that has obvious implications in terms of our convictions regarding government schools. Why would we send our children to the schools of Molech to be catechized and then expect them to be Christian? I do not understand for the life of me why the church is not raising a unified voice uh, to their people of, don't send your children to Molech's places. Oh, but they've got to be missionaries. Don't get me started. (laughs) We saturate them by sending them to government schools and then we open them up to culture and we're saturated with all the messaging that's coming from culture that isn't Christian. We, We saturate, saturate, soak and soak and then we're surprised that when they're 18 they say, your Christianity? I don't think so. Because they've been taught now and nurtured instead of Christianity, they've been taught in Antichrist. They've been taught in all of the wokeness that's now currently characteristic of our culture. And so we have to protect them from the culture, and we have to realize the media is a messaging machine, and that messaging is seldom based on a Christian world and life view. As such, children need not to be exposed to media until they're far, far older and have the ability, as coming from covenantal nurturing, to identify and sniff out the false theology behind the false messaging. Parents, if you're watching programming with your children, you should have the pause button in your hand. So that when every false message comes up, you hit the pause button and you ask them, What was wrong with what you just saw? Where was the wrong messaging? Identify it for me. Problem is, it it would take you probably six months to get through a movie. (laughs) Let me quote Neil Postman. It is now classic work against the dangers of modern media. Postman wrote, But it is much later in the game now, and ignorance of the score is inexcusable. To be unaware that a technology comes equipped with a program for social change, to maintain that technology is neutral, to make the assumption that technology is always a friend to culture, is at this late hour stupidity, plain and simple. If we're going to practice covenantal nurture in hopes of covenantal succession, we must understand that technology is, as a rule, no friend of covenantal succession. I mentioned public schools. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that you'll never see, we'll never see reformation as long as Christians are hand and foot sending their kids to government schools. Here's what Hodge has to say, and we're going to close with this quote. A.A. Hodge was one of the Presbyterian, Princeton Presbyterian reformed son of uh, Charles Hodge. He wrote, quote, I am as sure as I am of the fact of Christ's reign that a comprehensive and centralized system of national education, national education, national education separated from religion, as is now commonly proposed, and remember he's writing in the 1800s, will prove the most appalling energy, enginery, for the propagation of anti-Christian and atheistic unbelief and anti-social nihilistic ethics individual, social, and political, which the sin-rent world has ever seen. Was he right? 
And so, we look at, the, we look at this importance of infant baptism. We look at the, the, the importance of seeing the children are, are part of the covenant. We see it presupposed there in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We've seen the ideas that have introduced themselves that have cut us off from the idea of covenantal thinking and presupposing our children belong in the covenant. We've looked at certain aspects of examples of how these different categories work against us. And we come to the conclusion where we have to say, if we want to rescue our children, if we want to keep our children so they don't leave when they turn 18, then we more and more have to find ways to go all Amish-like in certain regards. Now, I'm not saying, you know, live like an Amishman, but at least what do they do? They, they, until recently, I've just read, they are keeping, they have kept their children. God grant us grace that we might keep our children and might once again discover a routine truth that was seen as ordinary, this idea of covenantal succession. Thank you for joining us this week. Look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM.